0: Well, it's good to see you today. I want to encourage you to turn into your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses and into chapter 9 somewhat as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, first 15 verses. We are uh, concluding today a series that we have been in for some time. We've been talking about living generously as followers of Jesus Christ, and we've been looking at various aspects of generosity. And really, for the past several weeks, really been pressing hard at our heart and our motivation, and and how really generosity flows out uh, of us based upon the the work of Jesus. Uh, God has been generous to us through saving us by saving us through His uh, work in Christ. Uh, The generosity that we have seen demonstrated by God should be exemplified in how we seek to live out our lives as followers of Jesus. And today, as we conclude our sermon, we will be looking at how we are called to be generous in our giving. Uh, Just look at one sermon today on giving. And so from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to begin reading in verse 1. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so, should, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for you, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father, we ask for help as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning, inspired by your Holy Spirit, to instruct your people when it comes to the issue of giving. Lord, oftentimes we don't like to be confronted in the area of our finances and the issue of money, but Lord, we know that we need your divine guidance and help and understanding how it is that we are to approach even the issue of giving. So Lord, would you instruct us today that by your spirit we may be generous people for the glory of your name and for the good of our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to the issue of money, there are two options far as how you can approach money. Now, one option would be to view yourself as an owner. I mean, how many of you would classify yourself as homeowners? A few of you. Uh, how many of you own a car? I'm not talking about the bank. I mean, you're not making payments. Actually own it outright. A few people, yeah. So we would we would classify ourselves in many contexts as being owners. And so we can approach the the broader concept of money and finances as an owner, viewing everything that we have as ours and therefore making decisions based upon what we think is best and right as an owner. So option one, you can view finances as an owner or you can view yourself as a steward. Understanding that in that context, understanding from that vantage point that we What we have ultimately belongs to God. Therefore, we are called to manage what he has given us to manage and what he has allowed us to enjoy, that we would manage it well, that we would steward it well for his kingdom purposes and for his glory. In fact, when we read the Bible, obviously, we should understand that Scripture does not argue that we should be owners, but rather we are called to be stewards. And that's crystal clear in the scripture. I could just point you to many verses, but one in particular this morning. This was uh David, King David, when he was anointing uh Solomon as king there in first Chronicles chapter twenty nine, verse eleven and twelve. In the midst of all of that 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 process, David is praying and there he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. That's a pretty clear point, isn't it? Pretty clear that that God owns it all. Everything in heaven and earth is yours, O God. The reality is that while most of us in the church would be quick to agree that we are called to be stewards... The problem for many of us is that we live our lives thinking we're owners. Many times when we think about the issue of money, we like to throw statistics around, and I'm hesitant to throw statistics around from time to time, but let me read a few just to kind of set the scene of what we're talking about, specifically a sad story in the American church when it comes to the issue of giving. Just to help you understand the the, the predicament, not in this particular church, but in the church in general in America, we know that based upon surveys and and, and and, um, research that's being accomplished in this area of Christian families making less than $20,000 a year, and that seems hard to believe, 8% of them give 10% of Christian families making a minimum of $75,000 a year, that number of those who give 10% drops to 1%. The average donation in a Protestant church is $17 a week. 37% of those who claim to be evangelical Christians give nothing at all, four out of 10 people. The average churchgoer gives only 2 to 3% of their income to ministry through the local church. I could give you many, many other numbers, but that just kind of begins to help you understand the reality that we see in the American church today. And this is not, by the way, I know that we have many guests with us, number one, this sermon, if you're a visitor or guest, uh, we certainly do not expect visitors or guests to support financially the ministry of this church, that is the responsibility that, as members of this church that we have as members, and so this is, we're, we're not after your money, God's doing quite well, amen? Amen? Uh, you know, you can turn the TV on and, and the swindlers on TV, they're after your money. We're not after your money. Uh, in fact, we would encourage you to uh, give to your local church. Uh, and if you're not in a local church, that, that you would find a place where you could plug in and, and be faithful there. And so when anytime we're talking about money, people get nervous and, and start grabbing, right, and start protecting. Uh, we're not after your money. Uh, in fact, we're very blessed here at Redeeming Grace. This is not a reaction kind of sermon. God has greatly blessed us. We're, we're doing great again this year, even in our budget year. We are well on track to, to have another nice surplus again this coming year. And that is the testimony of God's work in, in many of your lives and how you're called to be faithful. And so it's not a reaction kind of sermon. It's not that our budget numbers are running low. It's not that we're, we're struggling and figuring out trying to how we're going to do things. Not at all. Really, if this is just in the midst of this context of this series, just a reminder that those of you who are being faithful in your giving by the grace of God continue to be faithful for the glory of God. And if you're not being faithful, then maybe God would call you to repent of that and, and begin to be faithful in this area of your life. Because as we will see, it is a reflection of your heart and your allegiance who you serve. So I want to make that crystal clear, I'm not reacting to difficulty. God has been faithful in many ways to us. We've spent the last several weeks looking close at our own hearts when it comes to several issues with the issue of contentment or covetousness, uh, many different things that when we think about being generous people with our lives, with our resources, and as we saw last week, we considered even where our treasure is, there our hearts are also. We want to consider this passage before that's before us this morning from Second Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those two chapters together, uh, include the longest uninterrupted section of Scripture when it comes to the issue of giving. There's a lot to be learned just in what Paul's writing here to the church at Corinth in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 when it comes to instruction on Giving. What was the situation here? What was going on? Is he just kind of... Oh, by the way, we need to give. No, well, there's a context here. The churches throughout Macedonia during this time, and now in Corinth, were or had been collecting a special offering, if you will, for the saints at the church in Jerusalem. So you had the churches collecting an offering throughout Macedonia and sending that offering back to the saints who were struggling financially in. Jerusalem. And by the way, it's a great testimony, yet another testimony of how the gospel had overcome ethnic, political, and religious barriers that had long existed between Jews and Gentiles when you have Gentiles taking up an offering to support the Jews in Jerusalem. It's a marvelous testimony to the gospel of grace, how it destroys all of these boundaries we like to put up in our culture even today. Jews and Gentiles weren't friends by nature. The gospel had brought them together and made them one new humanity, and now you have them helping each other. Even though distance separated them, they were now investing in each other. Again, as we think about this, what we could call the longest uninterrupted chapter on giving in the Bible, one of the things that we need to understand when it comes to the issue of giving is there are really two types of giving from the perspective of a Christian. We could call it regular giving and generous giving. Regular giving is the weekly or bi-weekly or monthly commitment that members of a local church have to that particular ministry. So as a member of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, one of the things that even in our church covenant states is that we will financially support the work of the ministry through regular tithes and offerings. Regular giving, supporting the ministry of the local church. There's also generous giving. Generous giving is a gift that, that goes above and beyond that support. I'm not talking about shifting your regular tithes and offerings to, quote-unquote, be generous. That would not be generous. That's, that's just shifting resources. No, we're talking about a generous gift, meaning as you're continuing to regularly support the ministry of a local congregation, above and beyond that, you're being generous to encourage someone or a ministry or a missionary or individual Come alongside a fellow brother and sister in need. Generous giving. Generous giving is the context that we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. This love offering of sorts that these churches were collecting to encourage and support the saints back in Jerusalem. It was a generous kind of support that they were seeking to raise. The Corinthian believers had heard of this great need and had promised to give but had been negligent in giving. Right? Have you you ever done that before? You know, kind of made a commitment, yeah, I want to support that. Six months later, you hadn't supported it. Well, that was kind of the situation here in Corinth. Paul and and the Corinthian believers kind of had an on-again, off-again relationship. Um, Some of the false teachers had convinced some of the Corinthian believers that Paul was a bad guy and that he he was actually someone that they needed to be concerned with, and so they had been hesitant at Paul's leading to to give. Well, their relationship was now on again. Okay, They kind of had smooth things over, and Paul's reminding them, by the way, you remember that promise that you made long ago that you're going to raise funds and support the saints in Jerusalem? Don't you think it's about time you fulfill that promise? That's the context that we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's reminding them and exhorting them to be people of their word and support this cause. But the beautiful thing in the midst of this context is that we learn some very helpful characteristics or principles when it comes to the issue of giving in this context and in some ways even though this is a context of giving generously above and beyond what you would regularly do as a Christian you can certainly apply these principles to your act of regular giving but I do think you'll see how it clearly clearly helps us understand being generous in our giving and so If you're asking this morning, well, are you talking about supporting the ministry of the local church? No, I'm assuming as a member, if you're a member here, I'm assuming you're doing that. I'm assuming that. Now, just to relieve those of you, I have no idea what people give in this church. And I plan to keep it that way. Uh, I'm not interested in what each and every person gives. I know there are some ministries out there that that they know, the pastors, the leaders of the church know exactly what everybody gives. I have no idea whether you give or not. That's between you and the Lord. Um, they won't even, in the database at church, they won't even let me have access to the, to the giving records, which is a good thing. I don't want that access. And so this is, a, this is something that, this is between you and Jesus when it comes to giving. But when we think about our responsibility as Christians, we're called to be generous. So in the midst of our regular support and even above and beyond that, let's understand several important principles when it comes to the act of generosity through giving of finances. Number one, we see that we're called to give sacrificially. We're called to give sacrificially. As Paul reminds the Corinthians of their previous commitment, he points them to an example of other Christians in another area, the Macedonians in particular. There's several churches there. But he's, he's saying, listen, Corinthians, as you are being now reminded to, to fulfill your, 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 your promise, just look at the Macedonian Christians. Look at what they're doing. Notice what he says about them. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That whole sentence is just a massive paradox, isn't it? I mean, you're like, what? Is, there, is, is, is the Bible kind of off here? What's going on? I mean, affliction and joy, poverty and wealth. How, how does that all fit together? This is what he's saying about the Macedonian Christians. In a severe test of affliction, they were, they were suffering saints in Macedonia, but yet had joy. They were extremely poor and didn't have a lot of resources, but what they had, they were willing to give. You say, well, well how does that work? That, you think about our culture today, you just think about the world today. People don't think that way, do they? Even though this sounds like a massive paradox, this is exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ produces. Only when people have encountered the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have been transformed by grace, by the generosity of God, will they begin to think like this and act like this. Despite their own circumstances, they understood that everything belonged to the Lord and they were simply investing in the kingdom even when materially they had very little. And it was a joy for them. Notice the text does not say the Macedonian Christians waited until the economy got better. Notice the text does not say that the Macedonian Christians gave when they were convinced they had enough in their 401k or when they had paid off all of their student loans or on and on we could go no they gave out of their poverty and the text even tells us not only did they give according to their means but they gave beyond their means this is a testimony to the work of the gospel in their lives as there are times when we are called to give beyond our means There are times that we're called to do that. There are times that that we're going to be called to invest in someone's life or invest in a situation that's beyond our ability to do it. Think about the widow in Matthew chapter 12. Remember this precious lady there in Matthew chapter 12. We read about her in verse um, uh, 40. 43, the widow's might. I've got the wrong reference. It's not in Matthew chapter 12, but it's in Matthew. You remember this lady. She gave. She gave out of her poverty. She, she didn't have a lot. She was a widow. She was poor. She, did, she didn't have a lot going on for her, but she gave everything that she had. This is the kind of idea that we 're talking about here we 're so used to thinking in our culture in our day and time of how we have to have everything just planned out and right and it 's a good thing to plan i 'm not attacking or thinking that, that poor that planning is a bad thing you should plan you should make you should make those kinds of commitments to yourself and to the lord you, you should think about giving you should you should invest in, in those kinds of things all of that is good it's wise stewardship to do that so we're not just talking about a haphazard approach let's just give and, and hope everything works out and we're, talk, we're we're called to to be generous in our thinking generous in our giving you know a sacrifice for one person may not be a sacrifice for the next person so you can't even compare sacrificial giving to what another person is doing What's a sacrifice for you may seem like pennies to the other person. Sacrificial giving reveals our heart's true allegiance. There will be times when sacrificial giving is a warranted reality and we need to be ready to respond to needs when they arise. If we only gave when it was easy or comfortable, that would say so much about our hearts, wouldn't it? You could... You could test that with many things. If you only were faithful when it was easy or convenient. That, friends, the world can do that. So We're called to give sacrificially at times. We're called to go above and beyond even our own means to invest. Again, understanding that God owns all things and that we're called to be faithful in our giving. See that here. Macedonians were the example that they gave beyond their own means, according to their own free will. A second characteristic of giving is we're called to give proportionately, and you see that there in verse 3. While they did give beyond their means, we we're told in verse 3 they gave according to their means. You know, there are three ways I guess you could look at giving. We, we could give less than our ability, we could give according to our ability, or we can give beyond our ability. Notice the last two are in the text, the first one is not. And yet, most people do, number one. Most people give less than their ability. We're called to give according to our ability. We're called to even at times give beyond our ability. This applies to both regular and generous giving. We see here, and in other other passages, in Acts chapter 11, verse 29, for example, we see this idea of proportionate giving, proportionate to your resources. Proportionate giving is not equal giving. It doesn't mean everybody should give the exact same amounts. You're making $10,000 a year, and you give a tithe of $1,000 and the same person or the person sitting next to you makes $100,000 a year, and they're giving a tithe of $10,000, uh, statistically speaking or proportionately speaking, the person giving $10,000 is, is, is taking a much greater, making a much greater commitment. You say, well, it's equal. Well, we're not talking about equal giving. We're talking about proportionate giving. According to your means. I guarantee you, the person making $10,000 a year that's giving 10% of their money away is going above and beyond their ability. Whereas the person making $100,000 a year, only giving $10,000 away, is giving less than their ability. See, we're according to our means. Friends, true generosity is not based upon the amount given, but, with, but, but it's based upon how much you give with how much you have. True generosity is not based upon the amounts. As if we're kind of comparing ourselves, well, I gave this much, look at how much that person gave. But it's based upon what you do with what you have, and what you have will be very different from what someone else may have. The issue of tithing always comes up when it comes to talking about giving and you're in church very long, you understand when, when I'm talking about tithing, if that's a new word to you, what that means is, is giving 10% of your, your income to support the ministry and the local church, the advance of the gospel. Tithing is 10%. There are two camps that really come out of the woodwork and get all their feathers in a ruffle over this issue. One says tithing is certainly in the Bible. You find it primarily in the Old Testament and others are quick to say, and these are the people that usually get red in the face, it's nowhere in the New Testament. We're, we're outside of the law now. So don't, don't think that we're called to give 10%. That's, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians. Okay? You want to play that game? Um, when you find New Testament giving, it, it goes above and beyond 10%. People are selling land. They're selling homes. They're getting rid of stuff to support other people and to support the ministry and the advance of the gospel. I've always said I don't think the New Testament commands the tithe. I think it assumes it. Find that in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, as Jesus warns the Pharisees. He says to them, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought have done without neglecting the others. I always tell people that I think that while 10% may not be commanded, it is certainly assumed. And it's always a good place to start. It's a great place to start. Instead of it being a ceiling to reach for, it should be the foundation in which you build from. Because if we're going to use the New Testament to support giving less to the church and kingdom causes, that will not, you will not find that it will support your cause. And what a foolish errand. I'm trying to justify giving less. Just how does that sound? Really mature, doesn't it? I'm trying to use the Bible to justify giving less to ministry. Friends, we're called to give proportionately, regularly, and generously according to your means and at times beyond your means, but never less than your means. Sacrificially, proportionately, number 3, willingly. See verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, according uh, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Notice, notice here that no one had to plead and beg the Macedonians to give for this cause in Jerusalem. Instead, they were the ones begging. They were the ones begging to give. We want to participate. We want in on this opportunity to serve our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They were willing. In fact, right, if you jump over to chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, we're told there that each one must give as he made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It brings delight to God when we give willingly and with joy in our hearts. The last thing God wants you to do, whether it's the offering plate that's passed or some ministry cause or some other opportunity even unrelated to ministry, some other opportunity you have to invest in as a Christian and as a steward, the last thing that God would want you to do is, oh, I've got to give away money. I not really want to do this, but I know maybe, maybe God will be happy with me if I do it. Feeling somehow like you're being forced. I think we do have to be careful with this point because oftentimes people misunderstand the, the, the motive behind it. Some might conclude, well, If this is the case, if each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If that's how we're to give, then if I don't feel like giving, then I'm not obligated, so I'm not going to give. I don't feel like it, therefore I'm not going to do it. But we'd be kind of like, you know, we're commanded husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Not when you feel like it, right? We'd be kind of applying the same thing, right? Same logic. I'm going to read my Bible when I feel like it. Because we are clearly commanded and expected to be generous with the resources in which God has allowed us to be stewards of. This is not a give willingly or don't give at all command. But as you give, do so with a willing spirit and one that is even accompanied by cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. You should want to invest for the sake of the kingdom and the advance of the gospel. You should want to be generous to help someone in need that's struggling. We need to grow in that as individuals and as churches all throughout this land. We, we need to pray, God, make me a willing servant. Make me a willing provider. Help me to be willing and generous with the resources you've allowed me to enjoy and to benefit from. A fourth characteristic we see from the text is we should give worshipfully, verse five. Worshipfully. Paul's talking how they begged him for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints in verse four, and then he says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul concludes here that their motives were driven first and foremost to the Lord, by the Lord, by their understanding of who God was. They, they were committed first and foremost to the Lord, and then in keeping with God's will to others. Their priority was God. Their priority was the Lord and His, His kingdom, His cause, and His glory. So their giving, even as they gave to the relief of the saints in Jerusalem, their giving, their giving was an act of worship. Their giving was an act of worship. They gave with hearts directed toward God. In verses 8 and 9, Paul goes on to say that even such giving is a reflection of our love and response to the grace that God has given us. Look at verse 8. I say this, talking about the giving and growing in that gift of being generous. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Listen, you should be doing this to demonstrate the impact that Christ has had upon you, the the love that has come to you and now has been manifest in you. For you know, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What we see here is giving that was motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you you see? Sometimes people have taken this and and applied it in a different way, but what we see here is is Paul's just his his base argument here is, listen, you should be doing this because of the love manifest to you and now the love that's created in your own heart because of grace, because of what Christ has done. And he kind of gives a picture of the gospel here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, though He was the Son of God, that He's God, that He is eternal, that He is glorious, that He had the riches of heaven and and, and the, the angelic beings worshiping and honoring Him, that He was who He was, though He was rich, became poor. The incarnation. He left the glories of heaven to become one of us. To live a life. Just like us, so the greatest demonstration of the love of God that we see, that God becoming a man, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, we're told in Philippians. He humbled himself. So that by his poverty, by his humility, by his willingness to bear upon his own shoulders our sin and our guilt, by his own poverty, we might become rich. You see what's going on here. Paul's reminding them of the gospel. He's reminding them that it was the the poverty of Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor. He suffered for you and for me, so that we might become rich, so that we might receive the blessings and riches of Christ by our sins being forgiven being adopted into the family of God. Paul can't even get away from the gospel when it comes to giving. I love what Randy Alcorn once said. He said, giving is a response of the heart triggered by grace. One of the natural responses that we believers have because we understand the grace of God that's operative in our lives by transforming us and by forgiving us of our sins and making us more and more like Jesus, one of the the responses that's triggered by grace is generosity. And when you find yourself having a hard time being generous and being, being generous with your resources, with your money, with, with your life, with serving, with whatever it is that God's called you to be generous in, when you find yourself struggling to be generous, it's because you either don't know the gospel and aren't a Christian or as a Christian you've taken your eyes off the gospel and you've become more and more selfish. One of the beauties that we find right here is grace-motivated generosity. And friend, you may find yourself here today, maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian, and you, you would acknowledge that, or maybe you wouldn't, maybe you're struggling internally. Maybe, maybe you think, I don't know if I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian, but if you're here today and you're not a believer, even in the midst of this sermon on Christians being called to be generous. We are reminded of the very hope that we have been given in Christ and the the same hope that is provided for you, the same hope that is offered for you. And friend, if you're here today and and you just don't know if you're a believer or not or maybe you'd say, I'm not a Christian, sounds like another money sermon. These preachers always wanna preach on money. You can count on the one hand how many times I've done it here. We're not after your money. But I know one thing for sure is Jesus is sure after your heart. And friend, if you would realize that, that one day you're going to stand before a holy God and give account to him, you're going to give account to him. If you would realize that, that, that you have been created, that you are valuable, that God has created you in his image, but yet all of us have the same story, don't we? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have gone our own way and sought our own, we, we sought to live as owners. We, we, we want to do our own thing. We want to live our own way. We want to do what's best in our eyes. And we've rebelled against our creator. We've, we've, we've sought autonomy. We've, we've sought freedom on our own. And, and we're told that, that that's sin. That's a rebellion. We've rebelled. We're all rebels. That's my story, that's your story. And if you're here today and, and, and maybe that's the first time you've heard that or maybe you've heard that before and it just didn't click, this is what we're told in the scripture. God is holy, he's beautiful, he's glorious, he's mighty, he's righteous, he's just. He's going to have us all stand before him one day and give account and it's not going to go well for us if we continue to try to earn our way to him or try to come up with some kind of uh, behavior. Or maybe you think, well, Maybe I'll just give my way to heaven. Preaching about giving, okay, I'll just start giving money away and hope God will see that and somehow welcome me in. That's not gonna work either. Because your only hope is to turn from your own effort to realize that all your efforts fall short. All your efforts will fall short to try to make yourself right with a holy God. And if you will understand, verse nine, this is what God has done for sinners. That though He was rich, he became poor, he lived, Jesus lived life as a man, yet never sinned. He lived a righteous life, but yet went to a cross where he bore the judgment and wrath of God in the stead of sinners. And friend, if you would look to him, and if you would trust in him and him alone for your forgiveness, knowing that what he did was all that was needed for your salvation. Friend, your sins will be forgiven. You will be welcomed into God and his, God's family. You will be adopted into this great glorious thing that God is building called the church. And you will have great joy forever and ever. You will be able then to understand joy in giving, cheerfulness in giving, satisfaction with what God has provided. And if that's you, trust in Christ. Rest in him. Rest in him and believe what he's done for you. Because this is the attitude of our hearts. When we are transformed by the grace of God, the act of giving itself is an act of worship. It's one of the reasons that I think that the offertory is important in worship. This is not just about throwing an envelope or a few bills in the plate. It's an act of worship this is up to you. I know we're kind of in a new day and age. I don't even like giving to the church or to kingdom causes through the bank electronically. It's easier, but I want to do it physically because I believe it's an act of worship and devotion to God. As the counters all sigh, thinking, oh, we're going to continue to count, right? No, it's an act of worship. It's an act of devotion. Motives matter when it comes to the things that we do, and certainly worship is a great motive as we give. That also implies there are bad motives to give. There are bad motives. If worship is a good motive, inspired by the grace of God, if worship is a good motive to bringing honor and glory to God as we give, it means there are bad motives, right? Let me give you three bad motives to give financially, whether it's regular giving in the church or generous giving outside. One, to get a tax deduction. If that's your first question before you give, your motive is not one of worship. Think about it this way. If you knew you weren't going to receive a tax deduction, would that impact how much you gave? Another bad motive, to influence. The more I give, the more say I will have. I've heard terrible stories. By the grace of God, I've not been in these churches. but I've heard terrible stories of how when people get upset in a church I'll show them, I'll just hold my giving. I won't give. I will hinder the ministry to make my points. That's really glorifying to God, isn't it? To try to influence or impact or to be acknowledged. You know, all of us have the tendency to, uh, to, to be a Pharisee, don't we? We like to be acknowledged. We, even if you say, Well, I don't like to be acknowledged. Well, that's grace in your life, right? But if you're honest, that's, if you're being recognized, it may be awkward, but, but the sinful part, the selfishness, the, th- the, the reality in, in, in all of our hearts is we do like acknowledgments. And if we give to be acknowledged, friends, that's something that we have to guard against. Check your motives. We give to the glory and honor of God as an act of worship because of grace. We give worshipfully. Number five, we give excellently. Verses six and seven. Paul clearly acknowledges that this is to be an area that we give priority to in our discipleship. Look at this. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. He's talking about giving. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love, For you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying as you grow in other areas, you need to be growing in your generosity. This is a part of discipleship. You, You can't divorce how you steward your resources and how you give your resources from your growth as a Christian. Grow in our giving. You know, we, a lot of times we talk about the importance of, of accountability today, and rightfully so. I think accountability is a good thing that we, especially in the local churches, is something that, that we need to, to invest in. We need to be held accountable. We need to hold others accountable. And, and I know that it's common today to have an accountability partner, right? So if you have an accountability partner, that usually means that you sit down with someone at some point throughout the week or month, however often you've decided to meet with your accountability partner, and you ask each other hard questions, Right? You ask, how's your time in the Word been? How's your prayer life doing? How are you, if you're married, how are you doing with your wife? Or if you're the wife, how are you doing with your husband? If you're a parent, how's things going with the kids? And you you just hold each other accountable. But how often does that go to the wallet level? That gets awkward real quick, doesn't it? How are you doing with your giving? Weather's nice today, isn't it? How often do our relationships with other Christians get down to that level? Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, Consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Friends, the good deeds should include our generosity in giving. Spur one another on to be generous. It's part of our growth as Christians. Friends, if we aren't careful, we, as we grow as, as disciples, we will neglect this critical area of discipleship. Again, the statistics tell the story. Giving is not keeping up with income. Giving growth in the church and for ministry causes, kingdom causes, is just not keeping up with the the level of income that we see rising. And as growing disciples, we are called to excel in this act of grace also. Give excellently. And then number six, we're to give faithfully. Rest of this passage, we've looked at verses 8 through 9, example of the gospel. Verse 10. And in this matter, Paul says, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who you, a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So he's saying, a year ago, you made this commitment. A year ago, you not only expressed a willingness, but a desire. A, a, not only a commitment, but a, a desire. So, verse 11. Now finish doing it. Paul's just saying, hey, listen, you, a year ago, we're a year out. Listen, fulfill your promise. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. It's one thing to be willing, one thing to be ready, another thing to actually do it. He's just saying simply that there ought to be integrity in our giving. We ought to be a people of our word. Do what you say you will do. How many of us have started out to do something with the best of intentions only to realize later we've not done it? I mean, this is July. How many of you in January resolved to read through the Bible this year? How's it going? Apply that to a bunch of other things, a bunch of other commitments we've made, a bunch of other promises we've made, a bunch of other this and that. Friends, our intentions are meaningless unless there's follow-through. When you think about your generosity in giving, We're called to be faithful, which is why giving, we see it in other passages, ought to be planned and not haphazard. Haphazard giving is is not helpful. If we're going to be faithful, it requires us to be systematic and planned out in in our giving. Even with this offering, Paul had encouraged a planned approach A year prior, if you go back and read chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, this is what Paul says about the same offering, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you... Uh, a credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. It seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. You hear what Paul says there? He says, on the first day of every week, set something aside so that we don't have to have a big push when I get there. Be planned out. Be Part of your faithfulness to, to, to be part of this collection is to plan it out, to be systematic in your giving. So there are many things that depend upon that kind of faithfulness. If we just show up, whether it's regular giving in the church and we're, okay, what I got in the wallet today, there. Or as we have opportunity to invest in someone's life, maybe it's a coworker that's struggling and you really want to express generosity and you just open the wallet up and say, okay, here's 20, hope that helps. Well, maybe the Lord called you to give $20. I'm not, again, I'm not about the amounts, but that's kind of haphazard. When we we're aware of a need When we're aware of a circumstance or a circumstance or we're we're aware of a ministry that we really feel compelled to support, or certainly the regular giving of the local church, if we approach that, if we're called to approach that in a faithful manner, that means that we're called to do so with, with intentionality and with planning. I mean, there are things that depend on People's lives are depending upon that. The regular budget of the church depends upon that. Many of you give faithfully. We see that. We're thankful for that. But what if we all just showed up and gave without thought? Okay, what do we got today? Open it up. If you're like me, I never carry cash. I'd have to put my debit card in the plate and trust the counters that they would do me justice. Regular budget of the church, the ministry of the local church, future planning. We think about future planning as a congregation. Lord willing, I know our elders are going to go on a retreat here in a few weeks to pray and plan for our immediate future, which includes permanent facility kinds of conversations to begin to look at how we can establish ourselves permanently in this community with the facility. We've got to plan for that. It includes giving, obviously, but as we plan for that, we have to be thinking about how we can prayerfully plan to give toward that. Missionaries raising support. Their ministries dependent upon our faithful commitment. Missionaries, I know many of you support missionaries, and, and that's a great thing. We have an opportunity to support the Fernandez family as they prepare to go be church planners in New York. What if missionaries just were, you know, as as what if they were dependent upon a bunch of people just saying, I'll give when I have the opportunity? That's tough. Rather, ministry is dependent upon our faithful commitment to supply their needs. And so, be faithful. Be a planner when it comes to these kinds of things. We need to plan our giving. Regular, systematic giving propels ministry forward. Haphazard giving stalls it. So give faithfully. Friends, our generosity can be demonstrated through many ways. Through our service, through our hospitality as we looked at, But certainly that includes how we steward the money and resources God has given us. Friend, as you strive to be generous in your giving, as you strive to be generous in your giving, if you're a member of this church, as you strive to support the ministry of this local church and, and things outside of this local church, if you're not a member or visitor or, or, or whatever the case may be today, you know, as you think about your own life, as God has called you to be a steward of the resources he's given you, Think about these things that we've seen to be sacrificial, to be proportionate, to be willing, to be worshipful, to be growing in excellence, and to be faithful in our giving. And you know, friends, one of the things that we do see in the Bible that we would do well to point out God takes note of those who give, He does bless those who give. And I know and I, the hesitation is to not bring that up because of the, the, the terrible impact the prosperity gospel has had on on christianity that god wants us all to be healthy and wealthy and and if you're not you're in sin because god would prosper you listen the bible does say that god will bless us that should never be your motive if you're only out on what god will give you because of what you do that's not the right motive but the bible does talk about god blessing those who are generous we see that in chapter 9 verse 10 He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God will bless you. He will bless you. So as we give, friends, let's look hard at our motives. And let's remember our place as stewards in the kingdom. And let's remember, even as we seek to give generously, the words that Paul says so eloquently in chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. And that good work includes our generosity. This is God's work in us. God is able to make all grace abound, even in our generosity, for the good of others and for the glory of God. So let us, by grace, abound in every good work for the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. That we have been recipients of your generosity, Lord, knowing we're thankful because we know we have not been given what we deserve. Those who have been saved by your grace, Father, we know that what we have in Christ is indeed a gift from you. But we know that our rebellion and our sin warranted judgment. But yet you generously gave so that our judgment fell upon the shoulders of our Savior. Father, would you help us to see that? Would you help us to feel the weight and glory of what you have done in our lives? And Lord, I pray that if there are those who are here today that they've never trusted in Christ never placed their faith in him. God, would you draw their heart to you today? Would you help them to see the realities of their own sin and the glories of a great Savior? Would you open their eyes and would you give them just that effectual desire to long, to long for you, to see with new eyes and to be won over by your grace? Father, as we continue to think about our lives, even as we leave here in just a few moments, Lord, we want to be generous. We want to be generous not as those seeking to earn your favor, but we want to be generous because of those who have been given favor. So, Lord, would you help us to do that for your glory and for the good of our neighbors? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.